Hello, I'm Alberto Salvato. Welcome to Crime Time, a Virginia criminal law podcast. I'm here with Anna Dvorak, Anthony Norse, and Ann Thayer. Enjoy the show. So here it is, legal disclaimer, because we are lawyers and we've got to write one. So if you are listening to this podcast, thank you. We sincerely hope you are listening to this podcast for its entertainment value and not with the intention of acquiring legal advice for any individual case or situation. I mean, come on, you wouldn't take advice from someone you have never met or spoken to directly, right? If you were bleeding profusely, you wouldn't listen to a podcast in hopes of a bandage somehow materializing over the internet and onto your 3D printer. Seeking actual legal advice can be just as important as a tourniquet. The hosts of this podcast are in no way intending to create an attorney-client relationship with any listener. Sorry, we are sure you all are great people, but we cannot stress enough how little we know of you and your case. And rather than risk an awkward moment, let us just remember we have never met. Nothing on this platform should be taken as legal advice for any individual case or situation. We are just a group of friends with differing opinions and viewpoints, which we will try to explore through discussions of current events, law changes, and whatever else floats our fancy. Episode one, booked in the USA. Well, we all heard about Bruce Springsteen and his unfortunate circumstance of being arrested in New Jersey. And the four of us got together and started thinking about, hey, well, what would have happened if that occurred in Virginia? And we all had different ideas, different viewpoints, and we thought it'd be interesting to actually discuss. But I think the first thing we ought to do is probably just, you know, determine what the basic facts are as we know them, because of course, none of, neither one of us were there. And uh, maybe Anthony can tell us a little bit of what he knows about that case and, and uh, the facts that he knows them. The, the case, in, in full disclosure, has actually already ended in New Jersey, but uh, it's really interesting. It's got a lot of fun elements to it. It did. It ended today, but he was originally charged with the DWI, a reckless driving and drinking in an open space, which was the federal property that he was on. And I believe he admitted to drinking two shots of tequila to the arresting officer. Do you know who he drank those shots with? Uh... Those were with his fans. Like he was hanging out with his fans after a concert, just hanging out. I think that was the final conviction too, drinking with fans. Mm-hmm. And well, I don't know, drinking. What kind of fans are those? I mean, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> smart <laughs> I mean, ones. <laughs> I mean, who would go to a concert and have alcohol? I'd like to enjoy my concerts completely sober. Uh, what do you think, Anna? You know, it was, um, I was thinking that for once, Virginia seemed a lot more chill than other states when it comes to being arrested. I don't think a police officer in Fairfax would necessarily, or any other part of Virginia would necessarily have arrested something. Someone just, if they saw them drinking a shot. Although he did himself no favors with his field sobriety tests, which he did not have to take, but he decided to take anyway. Apparently, he walked 45 steps on the nine-step walk and turn. I guess he was born to run. So, <laughs> full disclosure. So, so what Anna was saying, and I'll be honest, and, and I went to school in, in Maryland. I went to school, to law school in Baltimore, and it seemed like every, every class I took, there was always some sort of a case search. And the minority of states or commonwealth uh, where the law didn't seem to comply with the majority of states, happened to be always include Virginia. And I think uh, what Anna was referring to was the fact that Virginia seems to always be on that line of much more strict than every other state. Uh, so I, so, so what, what we found interesting was what could we, how, if Bruce was arrested, say, at Wolf Trap, 
uh, or Jiffy Lube after a concert, uh, which would be, I can't remember the last time we played over there, but either way, wh what would happen? Would he even have been arrested? So let's, let's narrow down these facts, make sure that we have them to something we could all discuss. And, and I, I, I think Anne may, may have an insight onto that. Well, whether or not he can be drinking in public depends on the law. So in Virginia, there are certain places like Wolf Trap allows you to have alcohol there on their premises. Jiffy Lube does not. And so that's a distinction. Um, but what's really important here is that to, they charged him with reckless driving and DUI and drinking in a public area. And I don't see anything in his facts that showed any type of reckless driving. And so in Virginia, the police need an, a reason to pull somebody over. It's called reasonable articulable suspicion. They have to have some idea that you're committing some kind of violation of the law. And I don't think we really had that here. And even though they saw him drinking something and maybe he admitted to it, um, you have to, it's not illegal to drink and drive your vehicle in Virginia. It's illegal to drive if you're impaired to the point that it's impacting your mannerisms, your speech, your disposition, your ability to walk, all of those things. And so I don't think we had a lot of that here. Um, and then I, I know they made a big deal out of in the press about him not taking a preliminary breath test in Virginia. You're not required to take that. And he did take the one at the station and it was a 0.02, which in Virginia there's a presumption that presumption. you're sober at that point. So um, in Virginia, I just don't see where any of these charges would apply, except maybe the drinking in a public area because he admitted to it being alcohol. But usually they still have to prove it was some sort of alcohol. And I don't know what corroboration they had for that. I don't know and about what, you guys. What a lot of people also don't know is you don't have to do the field sobriety tests. And he volunteered to do those at the officer's request, presumably. But if you were in Virginia and decided not to do the field sobriety tests, Although the officer can consider the lack of doing those tests in his determination, if he doesn't provide that evidence against him, that's only going to help him. Well, let's backtrack a little bit. So from, from what I understand, I think he was riding in on a motorcycle, got off his motorcycle. Uh, I think from what I got from the articles, of course, we weren't there, but the police officer may have observed him walking over to a bunch of fans, taking a couple of shots and getting back onto his motorcycle. So... You know, without having any other driving behavior, I think that would be something that we would have to to look into in Virginia as well. So, uh, so so let, let's let's look at it, look at it from this basis to begin with. Uh, an officer sees an individual driving in on a motorcycle, stops next to another group of people, not knowing their fans or whatever. Stops, sees them drinking something out of some sort of a container that we don't know what exactly is inside. Does that then give probable cause or reasonable articulable suspicion for that officer to even address or approach the person on the motorcycle? What do you think, Anna? Well, I think, you know, we have drinking, drinking in public laws and drunk in public laws. And if he does not apply an open beverage container laws in public, and if they don't know what's in shot glasses, although they might suspect, is it's really an open question as to whether it would have been reasonable suspicion for just drinking, uh, drinking an open container, uh, having an open container in a public place, um, which would be the charge in Virginia. I think, I think I could see judges going either way if we were trying to throw the case out on a bad stop. Um, and the only case that I see that they would even have here is the drinking in an open space. If that was brought in Virginia and Virginia doesn't have drinking in an open space, but it does have, you can't have an alcoholic beverages in public. 
Um, that's true. But Class it also depends on how close were the officers to him? Like, did they see what, if it was a liquor bottle or a water bottle or a soda bottle or iced tea? Like, I mean, what did they actually see? I well, know they saw him stop and do something and then they stopped him and he admitted to it being tequila. But what did the officers actually observe? What it could have been, though, is the so-called consensual encounter where the officer sees something, sees some people standing around. Maybe he just walked up and said, hey, do you mind if I talk to you for a little bit? And the conversation got to going to what have you had to drink? And he made the admission to the two tequilas. And I don't know that that's what happened. But uh, in Virginia, oftentimes they get around the reasonable suspicion by doing this so-called consensual encounter. That's a good that's, that's a good point. So it's possible the officers actually just walked up to Bruce, um, you know, while he was just there hanging out with the fans and say, hey, what's going on there? Uh, I know you were born in the USA, but things may not be allowed even for those who are citizens like yourself there, uh, Mr. Bruce. But I think that's a really good point that, you know, we always think that police have to have a reason to come up and talk to us, but police are, can come up to any private citizen and ask some questions. You don't, you don't have to answer them, but they can come up if they think there is without even reasonable suspicion, if they have a hunch that something's going on. And if, if a person tells them and confesses to doing something, then they can act on that, which is seems to be, though we don't fully know that, is what happened here. Um, right. And a lot of people don't know that you don't have to talk to the police. Uh, for I was going to say, that brings, us, that brings us around to what we're here for, is we want to tell you, don't give the police the information they need to convict you. Right, guys? <laughs> exactly. Especially in a DWI, it's one of the crimes where you provide pretty much all of the evidence against yourself. <laughs> Right. And something that Tony said, and remember that this happened in New Jersey, in Virginia, as Tony said, you don't have to do the field sobriety test and you can respectfully decline. Um, who knows what the rules are in New on Jersey? On the side of the road, property. if you decline at the station, you're going to get another charge. It's well, on the, the side of the road. Who, uh, the <laughs> and I, that's test. why I said the field oh, okay. sobriety test, not the, not the, and the PBT is completely optional as well here on, at, on the road. But in well, every other state, I know there are states where if you decline the field sobriety test, that that you will your license can be suspended for that as a refusal. So you're know, speaking only about Virginia, right, um, and not about any of these other places. You can decline at this time to do the field sobriety test and give evidence against so, yourself. So let's explain to um, the two or three listeners that we actually have uh, what the difference is between a field sobriety test and the actual test that's inside. Can you can you um, can you tell me what the uh, sobriety tests are? What they're considered? who designed them? Uh, what are they looking for? Anybody want to tackle that yeah, idea? Because so, imagine somebody just listening to this for the first time and they don't know the difference between the field sobriety test and the actual breath test that uh, uh, Bruce uh, Bruce uh, actually ended up taking. Right, so I'll take that one. Um, there's some standardized field sobriety tests, which are three different tests. There's the walk and turn, otherwise known as the um, heel to toe. Um, there's a one-legged stand and there's a horizontal gaze nystagmus. Those are called standardized. Um, NHTSA, which is the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, put together some um, theories of way back when that if you couldn't meet certain criteria for these tests and you had a specific amount of clues that you were deemed not to have passed them, that, that you were at a certain percent, um, they could predict at a certain percent of alcohol, or they could predict that you were intoxicated at a above the legal limit by based on how you did on these tests. And they're set clues that the officers have to look at, but they're also standardized, which means the officers have to give you the test in a precise way. It's exact instructions. 
and record um, how you do on those tests and, and evaluate whether or not you're doing well or whether or not you're not. Um, Virginia law does not allow the officer to say whether you passed or failed. They have to explain, this is what I had him do. This is what I, my observations were. Um, and then it's left up to the judge or the jury to determine whether or not you were successful in that. There's some other tests where they can have you put your finger to your nose. They can have you tip your head back. Um, they can have you count backwards. They can have you do your ABCs. There's other tests that officers try to use that aren't standardized and they don't have certain clues and criteria that the judges, or I'm sorry, that the officers are supposed to use to have you do those tests. And then once you're done with those, if the officer, at that point, if they've had you do field sobriety tests, I think we all can agree, <laughs> they're going to have you try to blow into the breath machine to confirm what they think about whether or not you're impaired. And the one on the scene is optional. They're right. going to reach you. Yeah, go ahead, Tony. Under Virginia law, there's a bunch of stuff they have to tell you about that test before they ask you if you want to take it. They have to disclose that it's optional, that you get to observe it, uh, and that the results can't be used in a trial although they can be used if you challenge probable cause. You mean they can't make you do the alphabet backwards? Because I spent like probably two or three months in high school memorizing that alphabet backwards because I had this fear that they would come up to me and say, hey, uh, have you been drinking? No, sir. Can you say the alphabet backwards? I'd be like Z Y X W V U T S R Q P O N. Sorry, Alberto, I couldn't do that sober. So, but but that's the. But I guess my point is that, and much of what you were bringing up too, there's several other tests like the finger dexterity, the finger to nose. These aren't standardized, so they are completely subjective as well. They're completely subjective. Even the HGN. Which supposedly the HDN, for those who do not know, it's uh, the officer will come up to you and say, hey, here's a pen. Keep your eye on this pen. Do not move your head. And the officer will proceed with a series of movements that are both horizontal. And after he does that, he goes up to a vertical. And the, the nystagmus is when your eye shakes at a certain kind of like, kind of like jitters. You can't see it because it's a podcast, but your eye jitters uncontrollably and you don't even realize it's happening. But it's supposed to be a pretty good predictor of alcohol consumption. The well, problem it's not is really a predictor of alcohol. It's a it, they're taught that it's a sign that you may be under right. the influence of alcohol, but there's a lot of other reasons why your eye there's, could be twisted. I think about it, eighteen others. I actually, last I saw, I thought it was in the forties. I think really? there there are different, and you know, of course, I might be exaggerating. I'm not sure, but every time I take a trial, uh, and I try to exclude the HDN, I always say forty or fifty. The I've heard so many different up. You know, it, the thing is, the, the point is, nobody really knows. So these officers are being trained on the HDN and they say, well, you know, I see this, this behavior in someone's eyes. So I assume that they are at a level of a 0.08 or higher. But the problem is they can't differentiate between that and someone with some sort of other medical medical issue, which is why most jurisdictions in Virginia, at least in Northern Virginia, do not even except the HGN. Is that, don't you think, Anna? Well, I agree with that. And I also think this gets back to our whole point. Don't give evidence against yourself. Like all the things we're talking about, we can attack those in court. They're not foolproof. Even the standardized one we're talking about, we're talking about 80% accurate, which leaves a huge swath of other reasons as to why they wouldn't be accurate. But those if you do those tests and they create probable cause enough for you to get to the station and blow into the main machine, um, that number is really the linchpin. And if you're over an 08 in Virginia, um, if the rest in the if the rest and was appropriate because you did all these tests and you looked on a video 
often there are dash cam videos um, to be intoxicated to a judge that the rest is valid, then that number comes in and oftentimes there goes your case. So I think right. what tells us, you know, Bruce's story tells us is that, Shut you up. know, be <laughs> quiet and don't do the tests. Um, right. And don't talk. What, don't yeah. Here's admission. what I tell my clients every time when an officer gets behind you in a DUI suspicion case, they're monitoring everything about you from your behavior, what you say to them, how you're acting and everything you say to them and everything you do, they're recording everything against you. And I think we've all had cases where you see everything bad that the person did. And when you try to question the officer and what good things the person did, how many of you guys have, I mean, isn't it harder for them to state those things? Cause they don't record yeah. those things as much, right? In fact, yeah, they're trained to write down the things that are indicative of intoxication. Right. And, and police officers are, are trained to say that someone has not passed the test, even though they've completed 80 to 90% of the actual test. I, I'm not aware of any other test growing up in school or, or any standardized, te standardized test to pass any sort of a certificate where you needed 100% compliance. The walk and turn, you miss one or two steps. That in many eye, in the eyes of many of the officers and judges, quite frankly, is considered a failure. So right. the, the, the best- To get to the point of probable cause for the arrest. Right, so the best bet, and, and remember, the best thing to do is to not do the field test, which is different from this, the test inside the station. Once you are arrested in Virginia, taken into the station, it's a different charge to right. actually so, not blow. So once they get to probable cause for the arrest and they arrest you, the field kind of changes. At that point, you're required to take the breath test at the police station. And if you don't take that test, there's a separate penalty for that. Right. And no attorney could ever advise you to not take a test and commit a crime. And another right. key point too is I think a lot of us have had clients, for some reason, people have this idea that telling an officer you had two drinks <laughs> is going to be okay. And that they're going to see that as that you're safe to drive. And we had that here. There was an <laughs> admission to two shots, right? Exactly. And did that work guys? <laughs> he probably would have been better saying I had five shots because he looks more honest. I mean, he might've just had the two shots. <laughs> two shots just now. Well, I definitely had a judge one time tell me that I believe it was two beers, two really Big beers. Big beers. <laughs> I have a client. <laughs> say, well, what I, I took her to trial and she gets gets on the stand. I'm like, well, what's you had two drinks? Yes. What size drinks were those? And with her hand, she she mimics the size of a fishbowl. And I'm like, can you make that smaller? Anyway, the trial well, didn't come out too well. Well, this has been a great episode, guys. How about we wrap it up? How about we all give one our last our big tip that we would have for people when they're if they've had anything to drink or if they're encountered by police. So let's Alberto, let's start with you. All right. Well, looking at these facts here, if this happened in Virginia, uh, what what uh, actually what I would do differently, a, a and I think we uh, we addressed this. I would not come. Uh, would not do any sort of the field test. I would politely decline. I would say, "Well, I'm not going to do those." I would not answer any questions as to what I had to drink. Uh, the other thing I probably would do is not have any shots or drink any alcohol before I got behind the wheel and take any chance whatsoever. Uh, because even if you deny or, or refuse to do any of those tests, if they say they smell something on you, that's something that's not going to be able to to be disproved on the video most other actions might be but if the officer says that you have bloodshot eyes which they always do or you have a you know, alcohol in your breath you know nine or ten times the judges are going to take that for for as truth all right tony what about you 
I would say the same. Be polite and cooperative with the officer, but don't volunteer information. Not only don't do the field tests, don't answer the questions. A lot of people want to be friendly to the officer and they will volunteer stuff that's not even asked of them. So the best move is don't say anything. Just say, I don't want to answer any questions. I don't want to perform any tests. Thank you. You have to understand you're probably going to be arrested, but the chances of getting acquitted, of getting found not guilty, go up significantly if you don't provide that information. Anna? So I would agree with everything that both of those guys have said. Um, you know, if the boss didn't talk, he probably he would walk all these charges. <laughs> but um, more than likely, um, he still got in, got a good uh, resolution. But I would yeah. also say that the one thing that we didn't talk about, a 0.02 in Virginia is a presumptive and lack of intoxication. But if you're under 21 years old and you have a 0.02, that is a baby DUI. So it's just something to remember is that you, when you are not legal of legal age to drink, you know, the point you have to be concerned about what's called baby DUI, which really affects your ability to drive and your license. And that starts at a 0.02. So it's any alcohol on your breath. And on top of that, I hate to inter interject, but on top of that, it's a presumption that you are not intoxicated, but there might be a reason why it takes a long time for you to actually submit to a breath test. Uh, and you come out with a 0.02, if they have an expert there that can say or extrapolate the amount that you drank or the time that has passed since the time of the arrest, even though you blew a 0.02, conceivably, they could go forward. I find it really hard to believe that you would lose that trial, but they could go forward. Um, even more trial. reason to not answer questions, even That's questions right. that you think are not incriminating, they could then use later to try to establish some facts you never thought of. So even if you don't think the question is incriminating, you shouldn't answer it anyway. Right. Just assume right. that all the questions are incriminating other than what is your name and date of birth right. for booking information or for a ticket. Every question they ask you is incriminating and that's their job. And so I'm not, this is not a knock right. on the police. Right. It's and their they job. Do a good job. So the only other thing I'm going to add is that police are out there looking for different kinds of behavior. And so sometimes you may have had some drinks and maybe you are intoxicated, maybe you're not, but someone hits your car or you're doing something like Bruce did and he pulls over and has drinks with friends or fans in this case, and the officers see him. And then guess what? You're the subject of a police investigation. So anytime mm -hmm. you choose to have alcohol and get behind the wheel of a car, you're going to be subject to questioning and a stop by police. And that puts you on the radar for probably being arrested. And so you don't want to give them any of those things. So just be careful and exercise your constitutional rights and be quiet don't give them the evidence they need to use against you. And then you're going to have a better chance with one of us if you do get arrested and you have to go to court. That wraps up today's episode of Crime Time. Thank you for joining us and we look forward to seeing you again. Good night.